And now, broadcasting from a two-person hot tub, high atop the Butterfield Park water tower, it's the E-Town Lowdown, created by Robbie and Rick. And now, your handsome hosts, PK and Rick. Welcome to another special edition of the E-Town Lowdown COVID-19 pandemic. Welcome. So I have my uh, my two partners here, PK and Scott Evenlord. How are you guys? Great, Rick. How are Good. you? Doing well, doing well. Um, looking forward to our update interview with uh, Elmhurst Hospital President Pam Dunley in a few minutes. So uh, what have you guys been up to uh, other than social distancing? Well, actually, uh, thinking about uh, talking to Pam in the hospital, I was thinking um, I need to get out and donate some blood, but I got to figure out where to go. But uh, Scotty, probably the only negative thing about you is your blood type. It is. That's true. Uh, that's very you're good. O negative, right? I am an O negative proud blood donor. Um, I donate regularly. I do know that uh, the nearest uh, center for donations is just down the road on Roosevelt Road at what's now called By Talent, which used to be called Life Source. If anyone had been to Life Source, it's uh, Bill Park, uh, 100 East Roosevelt Road, across from Pete's Fresh Market. Nice. So nice. two minutes out of town here, um, they are in short supply and looking for donors all the time. So uh, if you can get there, that address again is 100 East Roosevelt Road, or you can go to their uh, website, vitalent.com. Scotty, would you uh, suggest calling in advance or just kind of show up or what? I would either call or you can make online appointments through their website. So do one or the other, but uh, they are uh, short on whole blood and they've shut basically all of their operations down. So they're only accepting whole blood donations right now to deal with what's going on with the pandemic. So now's yeah, a great actually, time. When I did some looking, I noticed they have hours, you know, they're not there all the time. So it is uh, good to set it up in advance. Yeah. So PK, I understand you've got a, uh, an inspirational quote for us. You know, it's funny. Um, one ponce a time, a long time ago, uh, back in the 1300s, there was a Persian poet. Uh, his, he went by Hafez. I don't know the rest of his long name, but uh, he went by Hafez and he said, stay close to anything that makes you glad you are alive. And isn't that uh, great advice for us some over 700 years later, for us to stay home and stay with the people who make us glad we're alive? Very nice. Inspirational. Amen. So uh, I'm going to cut you guys loose, and uh, I'll have uh, Ms. Dunley on the line in just a few minutes. You guys stay safe and stay close to your families. Thank you. You too, Rick. Hello, Pete Kruger here from the Elmhurst Independent Newspaper. When I want a good laugh, I listen to E-Town Lowdown, even though Rick, Robbie, and PK podcast from a hot tub they're three cool dudes. Today is Tuesday, April 7th, 2020, and I have Pamela Dunley, the president and CEO of Elmhurst Memorial Hospital on the line. How are you, Pam? I'm doing very well. Good. Nice How about the staff? How are they holding up? Well, uh, the staff are doing pretty well. I'll tell you, it was March 12th, so almost a month ago, five days short of a month ago, that we had our first positive patient and 
conditions have changed drastically since then, and I've got to say it's much calmer around here. I was uh, rounding on the staff yesterday. I went to every floor, so talked to everybody in the emergency departments, on the intensive care units, and on the COVID-positive units, and on the units that do not have COVID-positive patients. And all the staff were really positive and in good spirits. They know what they need to do. They're pulling together, and um, and they're very appreciative of the food that's being sent to them. They did mention that to me as I was rounding. So thank you to the community and for the food they're sending. We have made some changes for the staff. Um, they are now all wearing masks. So everybody, including myself, uh, are wearing masks in the organization. We have, you asked me last time, last week, if we were taking temperatures of our staff, and I said not yet. Well, we have started doing that. All the staff, instead of having them take it themselves, we are taking their temperatures as they enter the buildings. And um, we have provided surgical scrubs for all of our staff that are working with any of the COVID positive or the COVID rule out patients. And then we did start two new things um, this week for staff members who have family members at home that may be high risk for um, if they were to get COVID. Um, we are providing hotels for those staff members. Um, they do have to meet criteria, but if they meet criteria and they are working in between shifts, they will be able to stay in a hotel. And um, we will be having this week an ability that if one of our staff members got ill and had uh, a risk when they go home of somebody who is immunocompromised or is elderly, um, they could stay at the college. Elmhurst College has given us um, space where we can house our sick employees. So we haven't started that yet, but that will be starting this week. Well, it's nice to know that there is a, a contingency, at least for that, for those that might need it. So can you give us an update on actual uh, COVID uh, patients uh, in the hospital right now? Yes, we uh, now have 55 positive COVID patients at Elmhurst Hospital. Um, we have 10 right now that our patients were awaiting results on. And we have had, uh, as of yesterday, we had seven patients yesterday discharged that had been COVID positive that were able to go home. And total, since we've started, we've had 59 patients who have been able to be discharged from the hospital and gone home. Wow. We have had um, a, an increase in number of deaths. So last week we had five deaths. This week we've had six, a total 16 deaths since this started at Elmhurst Hospital. Wow. And now what do you what are you seeing statewide now for those that haven't been paying attention to the news? Is that still about a thousand a day new cases? Well, the the total in the state right now is twelve thousand two hundred and sixty two cases. Wow. And in DuPage County there's seven hundred and fifteen. So it's gone up quite a bit since the three hundred and twenty we had last week when I talked to you. Um yeah, and the state has had 307 deaths when last week I talked to you it was 73 deaths. Does it appear that, that there's a, a flattening of the, the so-called curve in sight? I don't know if there's a flattening of the curve. What we're seeing here at, at Elmhurst is the number of patients that go home are about equal to the number of new patients we have come in. So we are kind of flattening out in terms of our growth of the amount of patients in the hospital. And um, the deaths seem to be slowing down slightly. 
I hadn't had a death. Um, I had one death yesterday, but I hadn't had any deaths for three days. So I thought that was good news. So, um, and I assume that there's still a lot of folks in the community that have tested positive, but are not to the point where they're inpatient or maybe not tested positive, but suspect are positive. Well, I know for sure that uh, there's quite a few people in the community that have tested positive. Um, I know that in Elmhurst, there's 31 people who live in Elmhurst that have tested positive. But in our emergency department, since we uh, started testing, we've had over 180 patients test positive that did not get admitted to the hospital. And we're able to to stay home and recuperate at home. That's a a great statistic. is um are have there been any staff members who've tested positive at this point? Well, across the system, we have had sixteen staff members test positive. In at Elmhurst, in particular, we've had four. But the four that we've had, actually, all sixteen did not were not people who worked in any of the emergency department or positive COVID areas. So our assumption is that they got this in the community. And the, the four that, worked, that um, work at Elmhurst, they work in a lot of support departments, not directly taking care of the COVID-positive patients. Okay. Uh, as it relates to testing, is the, uh, since we last talked, has access to tests become any easier? And are the tests are returning results any quicker? Do you have different tests, in other words? Well, as you know, uh, we do have the ability to get to have testing done in our system. We can do about 94 tests a day. Uh, that testing, um, we have about a little less than 24-hour turnaround on that. So that's pretty quick, and it's much better than what we had before and much better than many other places that have four, five, six, seven, up to 10-day turnaround times to get results. We are working with Abbott on um, trying to get the, t- the quicker test that's coming out, the 15-minute turnaround. Um, we're hoping that we'll be able to implement that in the next day or two. Uh, I think they're having some kinks in the process, so we're just making sure it is um, accurate enough for us. Okay. But if it is, we will be implementing that. Nice. Um, how are your uh, supplies uh, in terms of ventilators and uh, personal protective uh, equipment? So for so far, ventilators, we have been able to um, have enough for the patients we've had, and we have some extra, and then we have some other ways to get ventilators. So we're pretty comfortable with ventilators, although you never know what the future will bring. In terms of personal protective equipment, we're, we're good with masks, although we will always take more. Um, we, when, we, when I talk about all the staff wearing masks, those people who are not providing direct patient care are wearing the cloth masks. Those that are providing direct patient care are either wearing a surgical mask or they're wearing um, a N95 mask, depending on what type of procedure is happening and what type of patient they're they're treating. Where we are having shortfalls right now are um, some of the PDI wipes. We're, we're seeing such a great amount of use, we're trying to get enough in. We have enough right now, but that that's something that we're at risk for. And... Um, and then the covers, the isolation jackets, um, gowns, those are the things that we are having trouble getting enough of those in now. So we're, we're glad we have enough goggles, enough masks, enough gloves, but gowns are where we're having a little shortfall. We have enough for this week, but we're going to have to find somebody to uh, 
get us more. So if anybody has any of those kinds of gowns out there that we could have, we would truly appreciate it. And specifically, PDI wipes, what are those? Those are the wipes that are disinfect things, you know, that you pull out of a okay. curtain, you know, and then you can wash everything down. They're not medi- Are they not necessarily medical grade or anything like that, though? Well, they have to hit a certain alcohol okay. level. So we would know, you know, if somebody has some, we can check that and see if it fits the okay. standards. How does your, um, your current census of non-COVID patients compare to your typical census when, uh, you know, pre-pandemic? Oh, it's much less. In fact, it's probably a third of the number of patients that we'd normally have at this time. Actually, the hospital is probably at half, no, yeah, a little, maybe a little more than half the census what we would normally have at this time. And that's for a couple reasons. We stopped doing all elective surgeries a while back, um, as well as I think a lot of people are just staying in and not exposing themselves to other things, and so they're not getting sick. But we're still having people coming in with um, heart conditions, chest pains. We've had some people who have broken bones and needed uh, treatment. So there is still some people coming in and being admitted that are not um, COVID, but you know, much less than we've served in the past. So uh, we've heard a lot in the news about hydroxychloroquine. Uh, are you using it there at Elmhurst Hospital? And what can you tell us about it? So what I can tell you is, yes, we are using it. And um, there's a number of studies that have shown that there is some improvement with the use of it alone or in combination with um, an antibiotic uh, azithromycin. So, uh, but then there's other studies that don't show that it's helpful, so that it's not proven yet. What we have seen here is that if we started early, we've seen it, seen positive results. So if you wait too long, then the response isn't as good. But if you started early, we have seen positive results. That's good. Um, you know, a month ago, if you saw somebody on the street in our area with a mask on, it was either somebody who had recently traveled in China or who had relatives in China. And we had um, a lady on the... Uh, the podcast this weekend who actually was working in China, uh, not too far from Shanghai, a few hundred miles from Wuhan. And she was saying how seriously the Chinese took it. And when she was in China and she was there up until a day before the travel ban from China, the, that almost everybody in China was wearing masks and social distancing and really disciplined about it. And I've noticed that we've seen, officials recommending the use of masks went out in public now and why why is that changed and i noticed that Elmhurst hospital is has been uh, suggesting that through social media as well so if i could implore everybody i think that what she experienced is actually best practice and i would encourage everybody to wear a mask and it is for a couple of reasons. And it can, it's a cloth mask. You don't have to go get an N95 mask. You don't have to have a surgical grade mask. The cloth masks help. And they help in two ways. The primary thing is you are helping stop your spread onto somebody else. So you don't know if you are positive or not because some people do not have any symptoms. So when you cover your face with a mask if you sneeze you're breathing when you talk if if you know particles go out you're protecting whoever you're near and the six feet is what they think is the spread distance 
but nobody's absolutely positive, and so it's an extra safeguard to wear the mask. And if somebody else is wearing a mask, they're doing you, they're respecting you by protecting you from them. So I encourage everybody to wear a mask when they're out. I wear one myself. I, when I was home for the weekend, I wore a mask everywhere I went, and um, and I do think it is a good practice, both the social distancing as well as the mask wearing. And do not assume because you're feeling well that you are not spreading a disease. Great advice. So um, are you still continuing to work with other hospitals in the area, and how is that communication? Well, first of all, we work with um, other hospitals, particularly our chief medical officers, talk to all the other hospital chief medical officers to see what they're experiencing, what's been working, what practices are they following, have they learned anything that that's working that we haven't heard about so we could try it, as well as the Illinois Hospital Association has been fantastic in, in having daily um, information coming out, couple week, times a week calls with everybody in the state just to know what's going on, um, to ask questions, to know what the governor's going to do next. So we've been involved with that, and it's been very helpful. Nice. Uh, last week, the best question I asked you was about the effects of the pandemic on mental health. And um, it was obvious that this was a, a subject near and dear to you. And you had mentioned the in-house guidance for your employees that uh, suggested they take a, a break for themselves each day. So my question to you this week is, are you heeding your own advice? <laughs> Absolutely. I, I truly believe in leading by example. And for, for me, if I didn't do that, I wouldn't be able to do the things I do every day or be able to have the energy that's necessary to do a good job to help lead this organization. I, um, I make sure I do Pilates every morning on the tape. I make sure I meditate. I make sure I connect with people. I make sure I take time down for myself um, and time away, which is hard to do when you want to be in the thick of things all the time. But it is the only way for me to stay as strong as I can be and be there for everybody is by taking care of myself first. Right. If you're not well, you're not going to be able to lead as as powerfully as you have. So keep up the good work and take care of yourself. One last thing I want to mention is uh, we uh, are releasing a podcast tomorrow that uh, has a number of folks in the community uh, that we've interviewed that are that are really trying to make a difference during this pandemic. And at least a couple of those are folks that are helping at the hospital, whether it be with uh, meals or uh, signage and support of the staff. So uh, I can I can tell you there are a lot of great stories in our community about the support that at least the the uh, you know the the mental support that we're here to here to give to your staff. So we really appreciate all that your staff's doing, and and we're here for you. And thank you again for your time today. Well, I just want to thank you for these podcasts. I do know they make a difference for people, and it's very hard to get information out to everybody in a consistent way. And so your work on this has been very valuable, as well as I want to, again, thank the community. Every single employee here is so appreciative of the support we've gotten. We have, I've come out of my apartment, my condo here, and I have my neighbors putting thank you notes on my door. I've come out of the, in the parking lot, and there's thank you notes on my car. The staff leave, and there's signs on the fence appreciating our EMS system, appreciating our staff. 
And all of that kind of support may not feel like you're making a difference, but it makes a huge difference. And so that's why people are willing to get up every day and leave their families and come here and take care of patients and put themselves at risk because they feel so supported by our community. I know resilience is so important and we are a resilient community and it is because of everybody out there and everybody in here together that we're going to be able to defeat this. Well, and I'm hoping that everybody has a long memory and when this is all over, that uh, we all remember how much your staff put themselves on the line for us. So thank you so much, Pam. Thank you, and have a great day. I look forward to talking to you again next week. Thank you. I look forward to it as well. Ladies and gentlemen, we are Steve Waddington and the Retro Rocket All-Star. Woo! And when we're not rocking in Southern California, we listen to the E-Town And now, it's time for another installment of One Ponce a Time with lowdown legend PK and his overly enthused yesteryear expert friend, Elmhurst History Museum director, Dave Oberg. What's in a name? Did you know that our beloved community was not always called Elmhurst? Well, boys and girls, One Ponce a Time the early residents who farmed and lived in this area chose a different name when they first arrived, a name that was with us for several decades. In 1843, Jerry Bates established a tavern along the St. Charles Road, which once served as a stagecoach route linking Chicago to the Fox River Valley. Bates called his establishment Hill Cottage Tavern, and it served as an early post office. Bates and early residents dubbed the small settlement they lived in Cottage Hill in a nod to his tavern. In the years to come, however, the post office kept confusing Cottage Hill with the other places named Cottage Hill in different states, as well as with Council Hills. In an effort to solve this problem, the early histories tell us that residents proposed a new name in 1869. All right, so let's dig a little deeper on this one. Uh, this is where the story gets a little murky. Uh, Dr. Frederick H. Bates, who was the son of uh, Jerry Bates, who you just talked about, uh, shared his recollections of the community near the end of his life, and included in that was the name change to Elmhurst. Uh, in 1919, the Elmhurst Press, a local paper, serialized his accounts under the title Old Elmhurst being the personal recollections of a native. And Bates was born in 1857, so he saw a lot of very dramatic change. He had an excellent memory and uh, uh, saw how the railroad had transformed our town from a very small community and a collection of homes and stores uh, to a more modern city. And as he's looking back at the early days of his youth over the course of 50 years, he kind of recalls the story of the name change from Cottage Hill to Elmhurst. And he's going to note, that Thomas Barber Bryan, who's a very prominent lawyer and businessman in our community, uh, called a meeting at his estate in 1869 to decide 
a new name for the growing community. Um, in the early years of the settlement, Cottage Hill was a very bleak little hamlet surrounded by prairie, hardly a tree to be seen along all of the unpaved uh, dirt roads. And Brian worked with a couple of other residents, Seth Wadhams and Jedediah Lathrop, to plant thousands of elm trees along the streets to beautify the community. And so they're very justly proud of these efforts, and Brian puts forward the idea of a new name, Elmhurst. And the name change is kind of an homage to the uh, strong German character of the community. It roughly translates to the Hillock of Elms. Um, so doing a little further research, though, it appears this meeting actually took place a year earlier at Brian's estate in 1868, and the name change did not stick very well. The post office records indicate the change took place November 20th, 1868, but by 1869, we're calling this place Cottage Hill all over again. And then in 1870, we, we switched back to Elmhurst, and Elmhurst is going to finally win out and become permanent. No doubt helped by the fact that after the Great Chicago Fire of 1871, the town grows very rapidly, and all the newcomers are pretty used to calling this place Elmhurst they just arrived in. And so today, we still have that link to the uh, distant past with Cottage Hill Avenue, Cottage Hill Station, Cottage Hill Diamonds, among other places, paying homage to the community's much earlier history. Well, you know, Dave, it would have been easier if they would have just called it E-Town. The E-Town Lowdown, brought to you by the wonderful folks at the Elmhurst Armpit Orchestra, featuring the biggest bass drum in the world at nine feet in diameter. Yes, you heard that right, nine feet in diameter. This has been a special presentation of the E-Town Lowdown.